and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Dr. Ramsey Nijem of the Sacramento Kings. Now, before we get into this week's show, I want to give you a little recap of the week that was and the week that is currently going on. So I want to start this off with a little shout out to two of my best friends in the world, Bo King, Wes Staten, guys that I have grown up with. Man, I am coming off really awesome weekends. So last year we started what we call the weekend of mancation. And so it's not a full vacation. It's just a weekend. Wes has this amazing little lake house up in Northern Indiana. And we just take two days, get away, fish, hang out on his pontoon boat, cook some amazing food on the grill, just hang out, just be bros for two days. And man, it was definitely very much needed. I love those guys. They're like my brothers. Both of them stood up in my wedding. And so just getting that time away really allowed me to kind of recharge my batteries a little bit between that, the family vacay. I am 100% ready to go because my friend, it is go time. Like kiddos start school this week. And that's mind blowing to think that the kids are starting school, you know, end of July, first week in August, but man, it's go time. I'm going to have a third grader on my hands this year. Crazy to think that Kendall is already in third grade. And then young Cade, man, this guy's, he's getting on the bus this week. It is big time. So he's going to kindergarten, just really excited for both of them. We met their teachers last week. They seem phenomenal. Just really excited for this year for our family. And then, you know, just because there's not enough other stuff going on in the Robertson household, it is also fall sports kickoff. So this year, Cade will be playing soccer again in the fall. That man just needs a sport that makes him run a ton, get some of that energy out. And then Kendall enjoyed softball so much in the spring that she actually wanted to circle back and play that again. So they have a lot going on. I will be the head coach for Cade's soccer team. And for a minute, I thought I was going to be the head softball coach as well, which would be a new role. But I think ultimately I'm going to end up being the assistant coach for that. So lots going on this fall. But like I said, super excited for the fam, super excited to watch my kids growing up, seeing all the fun stuff that they're into. So that is all good. As far as the content train goes this week, and try to drop some serious stuff on you, you know, basic exercise like a dumbbell row doesn't seem like you probably need a tutorial. But then when I go to a commercial gym and it looks like somebody's starting a lawnmower, then I have questions about a lot of people's ability to do a dumbbell row effectively. So You know, try to break that down, give some coaching cues that maybe people aren't thinking of or that they're not focusing on when they're working out. A couple just highlights, if you will. I think I've mentioned this before, but if not, cross the 11K threshold for YouTube subscribers. So that was pretty exciting this last month. Very much appreciate your support there. I love doing those short little clips and hopefully it makes an impact on you as a trainer or coach. July. Also, a little segue here, July was our best month of the year for the podcast, 25 plus thousand downloads. I mean, anytime I'm getting close to like a thousand downloads a day, that's a pretty darn good month. And I think it's a testament not only to people like you that listen, that are excited to become a better trainer or coach, it's also the phenomenal people that have come on the shows in recent months. And man, just appreciate you for listening. I appreciate the amazing people that I get to interact and network with. So feeling very, very good about that. 
the complete coach certification, the process goes on. You're probably going to be tired of hearing about it by the time September rolls around, but I'm working on all that backend stuff right now, man, trying to dial in all the training templates. I know I had templates before for physical prep. I could have just take those, drop those right back in, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go back. Okay. How am I writing programs now? How does it look different? You know, maybe they are going to ultimately end up looking very similar, which I'd be okay with, but I think there's going to be just enough changes, just enough tweaks so that, you know, Hey, this is something that you can take swipe and deploy on your own, maybe change some tempo prescriptions, change the logo, obviously, unless you want to promote RTS on your programs, but just stuff that you're going to be able to take and apply very, very quickly. It's kind of like the starter package. That's the way I look at it is you start to learn you know, how to write better programs as your own program design process evolves, this is something that can help get you started and just make sure you're doing things the right way, right from the get-go. So I got the templates, the quizzes, the progression, regression charts, working on all that right now. I mean, there's still a lot of work to do and, you know, I'm about four weeks out at this point. So I think once the kiddos get back to school, dad's going to be back at the 6 a.m. grind, just You know, I need that power hour every morning to knock some stuff out and make sure this gets done on time. So content train is rolling. Before we jump into the show with with Ramsey, though, I want to give you my deep thought for the week. And that's this concept. I know I've talked about it in, in other capacities before, but I think it's important to mention it again, is this idea of finding ways to recharge your battery. As a trainer, as a coach, we are givers. We love giving our energy to other people. We use our energy to raise other people up. But at the same time, unfortunately, you know, sometimes that drains our own batteries, right? We give, give, give. And then when it's time for us to do something for ourselves, we just simply don't have the time. We don't have the energy for it. So I was actually discussing this with one of my distance clients today. She's an amazing human being. I think we've worked together for six plus years now. And she is, man, she is a force of nature. I mean, one of the hardest working individuals I've, I've ever met in my entire life. And we were kind of going back and forth and she kind of had this epiphany, I think when we were talking and she just said, you know, this has been so impactful because she's come up three or four times over the last couple of weeks. She's used some of her vacation time, which, you know, she accrues, but has actually been losing because she hasn't been taking it. And she kind of had this epiphany and she said, you know, I think this is just something I have to be better about doing for myself and I have to be willing and able to either disappoint some people or inconvenience some people because, you know, I have to do what's best for me. And I think that's just a really profound statement and a state of mind to get into because a lot of times, again, as trainers and coaches, we're people pleasers. We want to help people. We want to give our time and our energy and our love, but we have to find ways to recharge our own batteries right? We have to find times and find ways to distance ourselves from our work so that we can recharge our batteries and we can go in and be at full force. So a lot of times people ask me, well, what do you do? And this is the kind of the trap that we fall into, right? Because when you love your work, when you enjoy your work, you get energy from that, but it's not the same. It's not the same as finding something totally unrelated to work. So for me, my personal list that, that really kind of recharges my juice is you know, actually working out for myself. And I know sometimes as trainers and coaches, when you're young, you might roll your eyes hearing that, but as you get older, sometimes it's hard, right? I got a lot of clients. I've got a lot of athletes, people that want, you know, to get workouts in. So sometimes, man, it's hard 
to make that time for myself, but you got to do it. So working out myself, watching movies. I love watching great movies. It's like just such an amazing time for me to disconnect, listening to great music. I mean, I love music. I feel like that can really just change your mindset based on the type of music you're listening to. Something else that I love about music is how certain songs can bring you back to certain times in your life. And it's almost like they're just, it's, I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but it just kind of like, it's a linchpin that reminds you of this day or this this time in college or this amazing time you had with your friends in high school. So music is another one for me. And of course, like I talked about up front, spending time with close friends. So rather than me just talking about myself, what I would love to do is give you some tools that you can use to help you recharge your own batteries. So here are a few things to consider when it comes to preserving your energy or you know recharging the batteries. First thing is a, is a tough question to ask ourselves, but I think you need to ask, what can I say no to, right? There is no rule that says you have to say yes to everything or everyone. So, okay, what can you say no to? It doesn't mean you have to be rude about it, but hey, you don't have to agree to do everything, right? And sometimes a firm no goes a long way. Number two, what am I doing that I'm not passionate or excited about? Now, again, you got to take this with a grain of salt. If you're a startup entrepreneur, you're running your own gym, you may not be excited about marketing or writing a sales letter, or maybe you're not excited about doing your QuickBooks file. (laughs) You know, Lord knows I'm not, but that doesn't mean, you know, you can't do it. But as you grow, as you evolve, as you bring people into your business or you surround yourself with other people that have different skill sets, that's a time when you can start delegating some of that stuff, right? So now you don't have to spend two hours, you know, tweaking and refining your account balances in QuickBooks, right? You can spend that time writing a blog or training another client or doing a continuing education course. Number three, what activities outside of work make me feel fulfilled happy or energetic. That's a big one, right? And again, if you love your work, I get it, but you have to find ways outside of work to help you recharge your batteries. It's not the same, right? Even if you love your work and you feel energized when you're done, it's not the same. You have to find things outside of your work to help recharge the work battery, right? Last but not least, number four, what people make me feel fulfilled, happy, or energetic? We've all heard, you know, you're the average of the the five people that you spend the most time around. That's great. I don't know if it's exactly five, but the premise makes perfect sense, right? You want to hang out and spend time with people that give you energy, that give you joy, that you just enjoy laughing and hanging out with. Okay. So with that being said, not necessarily an easy task. You know, some of these are really tough questions, but I think they're ones that we definitely need to consider and something that we could probably afford to do on like a quarterly basis going through and asking ourselves, what can I say no to? What things am I doing that I'm not passionate about that I could delegate or get rid of? What activities outside of work make me feel fulfilled, happy, and energetic? And then number four, what people make me feel fulfilled, happy, or energetic? So hope you enjoyed that little piece. You know, for me, keeping the batteries full is (laughs) basically a full-time job. I feel like I'm constantly on the go and I'm, I'm trying to do a lot of things, but If I keep my batteries full, it's really not a struggle because I love what I do. I love the people I'm around. And ultimately, that's what gives me joy is being active and helping a lot of people. 
So that does it for my little note. Now we've got a quick promo for the complete coach certification, and then we're going to jump into the show with Dr. Ramsey. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in our industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better trainer or coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in September. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 off the standard price when it opens. To get on the insiders list, head over to CompleteCoachCertification.com. Again, CompleteCoachCertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails that'll be coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Dr. Ramsey Nijem begins his sixth season with the Sacramento Kings, and his fourth as the team's head strength and conditioning coach. Dr. Nijem spent two seasons as the Kings' assistant strength and conditioning coach prior to his current role. Before joining the Kings, Dr. Nijem was the head strength and conditioning coach at Santa Barbara City College and an assistant strength and conditioning coach at UC Santa Barbara prior to that. In this show, Ramsey and I cover a ton of topics, starting with how his inability to dunk led him to becoming a strength coach, the role and value of relationships in coaching, why boring wins, the differences between developing an American versus European player, how hectic the NBA offseason is, and why you have to put the ego aside and think of yourself as support staff. This is an awesome show, and I really think you're going to love Ramsey's insights. But enough for me. Let's do this. Ramsey, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And first off, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here. I've obviously listened to the podcast and some of the people you brought on. So for me to to join that company, I'm excited for it. So thank you. A little bit about myself. Currently the head uh, performance and strength coach, I think is the title. Titles change often, but <laughs> roles and responsibilities, those change too. But the primarily, primarily what I'm doing with the team hasn't changed much. I'm now entering my sixth season with the Sacramento Kings, I spent two years as the assistant, going into year four as the, the head guy for the strength and conditioning side, more performance side. Prior to that, I was Santa Barbara City College. Most immediate to that was Santa Barbara City College. That was a really fun opportunity for me. I, I went there right after finishing my master's degree. So real young with, with lots and lots of growth opportunity to take that role on and actually start a strength and conditioning facility, which is really cool for, for those of you 
listeners that, that know where Santa Barbara is. It's in beautiful Southern California, but it's also right on the beach. I mean, literally, we had an outdoor weight room. Across the street was was literally the beach. And I don't mean like restaurants. I mean the water and the sand. So uh, <laughs> that was really, really just a unique time to spend. Uh, and I wasn't, well, depends on, you know, kind of your perspective. I wasn't fortunate enough to be there too long at that space because the Sacramento Kings called. And obviously, that was an opportunity I couldn't have turned down. Sure. Um, but that was awesome. I had 17 teams, started a program. We had an outdoor weight room. Kind of looked like a CrossFit if you would just walk by it because we had a bunch of rogue equipment out. But we kept all the other stuff all the equipment inside of a, a storage shed. So I would show up, open the gate, have our teams pull out the equipment they need, and we would get to rocking and rolling. I remember we had Tupac Friday. So on Fridays, I would take the football team. Yeah, man, it was it was awesome. On That's Fridays, awesome. we would walk right across the street with the football team. Keeping in mind that in at the city college level, you can't cut players from sport teams because every sport is actually like a class. So we had like 70 people on our football team. And we would go down to the beach and just get right. And, and I'll bring a giant boombox and play Tupac. And so that was just a really fun growth opportunity for me. Prior to that, like I mentioned, I was, you know, at full Cal State Fullerton's where I did the master's degree. A shout out to Center for Sport Performance at Cal State Fullerton. Really great program with, with some really great researchers and, and clinicians. And it started all at UC Santa Barbara. That's where I did my undergrad. And I was fortunate to to land an internship there. And so just real, real fortunate. My God, I've been able to meet some mentors along the way, people have given me shots, people have taken chances on me, people that have really poured into me. And so now I kind of, you know, use any of these opportunities that I'm fortunate to get, you know, speaking with guys like yourself to to try to pour back and, and feed it forward, if you will. I love it, man. Very cool. And and what originally led you to the world of physical preparation? Like, how did you get into all this? Yeah, yeah. I would say it was definitely a, a backup plan and it wasn't even on the radar I wanted to be an NBA player, so I think that probably resonates with a lot of strength and conditioning coaches. I, I wanted to be the athlete that I'm training, and mm-hmm. you know, at 5'9", with a lack of skill set, I certainly think that I could hoop, and in my mind, I'm an NBA player, man. The things <laughs> I do in my head are crazy with the yeah. ball, but, but certainly not an NBA player. So as soon as I realized that NBA player wasn't going to be an option and exploring the other options of professional basketball didn't really appeal to me, and I wasn't good enough, I think, to make real money doing it so it would have just become a passion project and i figure man if you're going to chase a passion project you know chase one that might lead you to where you ultimately want to be which is with an nba team and helping nba athletes so that's kind of was that was the inception of it a little bit and and from there i just kind of got to got, got to cracking on on what it took right so you read the books you get the certifications you meet the right people you learn from those people and all of that kind of led to, to getting to where i am now but yeah it was man if i can't if I can't play in the NBA, how can I find myself working in the NBA and helping players get better and and exploring their passion? You know, so I, I try to I try to remember that every day as I walk in. It's like, man, these dudes are living out the dream that you once had, and so make sure that it's a dream when they walk in that door. And make sure that you remind them of those things because sometimes, especially in the NBA, you get you get caught up even as a sports staff member and definitely as a player and and how much is going on. In addition to eighty two games, you got. Obviously, your practices, but if you're a player, you got events you got to go to. You got different things from a marketing, branding, you know, personal business side that you're working on. And so then you got the family members and everyone else that's just around you and everybody wants something. And so 
whenever I get a chance to remind them, like, yo, this is the NBA, baby, live your dream. <laughs> Sometimes that's me reminding myself, like I'm around this and this is cool. But you know, it was definitely the backup plan. It was yeah. my, my inability to dump the basketball has led me to train the conditioning. <laughs> I love that, man. So let's start with the basics. And I've got some kind of specific stuff I want to talk about later. But how would you describe your overarching philosophy when it comes to training your basketball guys? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the question that I think everybody gets. And I haven't come up with a with a eloquent way to answer the philosophy question yet. I don't know if I ever will, but certainly things come to mind that are my big rocks, I think, when, when it comes to delivering strength and conditioning to, to these players. First one is relationships. I never want to forget that that this is a human business. We're a support service to these players. So I always think know the human first, know the athlete second. That's cliche. Obviously, that's been said 12 different ways now, but I really do believe in that. You know, if, if we know these players in and out and we know who they are as a human, then ultimately it's going to bleed down to how we deliver our program, how we deliver our coaching, how we deliver our education, and, and how we deliver our personality to them, right? The, the person that I am for 90% of the time might need to change. And I'm not talking about our values and our character. Those things should be consistent, but just the personality or persona that we bring to that needs to change based on who we're working with. So I always think relationships first. And what I used to say a lot is your athletes don't know how much you, excuse me, your athletes don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I've, I've totally like moved away from that thought. And now all I think is your athletes don't actually know how much you know. They only know how much you care. And that took a while for me to kind of sit back and appreciate because we see, we all, we've all seen it, right? Especially in the, in the social media age where you, where people share everything and you got the keyboard warriors that sit back and, and criticize everything from afar. But what I think we do get to see often with some of that is athletes don't know this stuff, right? And they shouldn't. Right. They shouldn't know strength and conditioning in and out. And that might go against the grain on with some people. But for me, it's I want you to know basketball, right? Yep. And I want you to be really good at basketball. And I want you to know everything about it. Any amount of effort or time you spend learning something that's only kind of related it's only going to take away from what we really want. So for me, it's, you know, my athlete, most of my athletes don't even know where I went to school and all that stuff. For most of them, I'm just like the shit-talking strength coach who's just <laughs> out there trying to get, right? And that's what I want. I just want them to know I care so much about them that they're just going to trust me. And then it's on me to hold myself accountable and have integrity and learn the right things and all of that. But so, yeah, it, it definitely just starts with the human side. And um, I try to take pride in that for sure. Second to that is, is science. You know, I... I don't ever want to move too far away from, from the science. Evidence-based practice is obviously a big term out there, or evidence-led practice, depending on the semantics you care to argue about. But I always just think there, there's enough empirical evidence for us to really have a good understanding of what we could and should be doing with our athletes. That's not to say that we need to read every single paper out there and copy and paste it and deliver it, but it is to say that we should understand the big rocks that the science are telling us. What's the scientific consensus? What's what's debatable? And if something is debatable or controversial, let's temper our confidence to that level. And I always think if some of the leading scientists in the world can't agree on certain things, then it's probably a waste of time for strength and conditioning coaches to sit around and discuss it and argue it. So go one level higher and understand what the scientific consensus is, is above that. What's the big rock? So simple examples like diet. We all want to argue about diets and, and what we should be telling our athletes and what they should and should not be having. Okay, great. But there's also leading PhDs in nutrition that are still debating those things. And if they're debating those things and they get paid to research that, then it's probably <laughs> not smart for us to, to sit around and waste time on that. But what we do understand is, okay, calories in, calories out. Energy balance is probably 
founded and rooted in some deep science. Macronutrients probably play a role. Micronutrients probably play a role. So let's focus on some of the bigger rocks. So I always think about, you know, is what we're doing, is it based in evidence? Is it led by evidence? Or is it just our ego getting in the way? And then from there, you, I think you get into the philosophy of strength and conditioning. So I always think know the sport first and foremost. The easiest way is to love the game, love the sport that you're working in. And I'm probably biased there. You know, I'm probably real biased there because I love basketball. Yep. So for me, every every night at 7.30 p.m. when the ball goes up, I'm just a fan and I love watching the game. I love understanding it. But I always, I always think understand the nuances of the game because if nothing else, it's going to allow you, I think, to relate to those athletes more. And that goes back to that relationship and delivery of programming and coaching and all that. But but then in addition to that, you're obviously going to understand all of the things that we care about, energy system development, biomechanics, the physiology behind things, how to, you know, what, what we actually need from a needs analysis, sport and individual side. So know the sport. And then from a programming perspective, I always think, you know, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. And if you do that, I think it, I think boring wins like um, yes. and that's OK, especially in the NBA, because most of these guys don't have a great desire to go out of their way and work out. And that's not to say like NBA guys don't like the trend, but I don't mind that at all. I think I've been fortunate to work with a lot of players over my short career and they all love to get better. And as soon as you can get them to understand the value of strength and conditioning and how it makes them better, or how, if nothing else, how it may keep them on the court so they can keep getting better. Then I think that they do want to train. It's just, you have to sell it to build the value and keeping it real simple is the best way to go about that. And and I think, you know, keep it simple for 90% of your of your training, but throw them a bone once in a while and throw in some variations and and break the monotony up because at the end of the day, they don't they don't want to be weightlifters, they don't want to be powerlifters, they don't want to be bodybuilders. They want to be really good at basketball. Yep. It's our job to make them a better athlete. And if that means we gotta throw in some flair once in a while to keep them motivated and hungry to come in, then let's do that. But I wouldn't say waste it, you know. 95% of your program on that, maybe just five to 10%. Yep. So those are, I think, kind of the, the philosophical, you know, big rocks. And then you get into movement categories and individualizing programming and all of that stuff. But, you know, I think all of that is kind of lower on the list. For sure. For sure. And, you know, one thing that, that we've discussed in the past is this development process, especially for your young guys. And really, I mean, you're getting a certain level of athlete, not just basketball wise, but movement wise when you get a 19 year old kid that's coming into the league. So would you give us some insight as to what kind of athlete you're getting when they're fresh out of college and they show up on your doorstep? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it definitely varies. You know, you get the you get the three to five year guys. And some I always think about when, when thinking about kind of the athlete that's coming to us is I think it was three years ago. There was an NBA record of draftees that were foreign. And then the year right after that, it was a record of freshmen or one and done college guys that came in. And so when I look at that, and it might have been flipped, but I know that it was back to back years. One year was the most freshmen ever drafted. The next year was the most foreigners ever drafted. Okay. And so when I look at that, what it tells me is, is NBA teams are going in two directions. They want they want young and develop on their own time and dime, and that's going to be your one and done guys. And when I say that, what I what I mean to say is, you know, at least from from recent history, NBA teams want to draft a young guy and build them within their own systems, right? Mm-hmm. They want to use their coaches, they want to use their support staff, they want to get them around the people that they have in place that they're paying to develop talent, rather than leaving a player in college for sophomore, junior, and senior seasons and leaving that up to a college system which also comes with, as we know, distractions in classes, et cetera, et cetera, that's wasting their time and their mind. 
So that's like one direction they want to go, or they just want to go foreign, and that's the more established player that probably has a more tailored skill set for your tactical and technical strategies. And those are the two kind of ways that I, I think, at least recently, they've been going. And so when I think about the players we're getting, I think, okay, they're, they're going to fall within those camps. We're going to get a young guy, one and done, who probably hasn't had a great deal of strength and conditioning or a training background, so their training age is relatively low. Because even if you went to college with a great strength and conditioning program, well, you were only there for a year anyways. Or you're going toward a foreigner who's probably a little bit older, who may have a training history, but certainly not a traditional strength and conditioning background. And I see that pretty often. And while we do have players that come from overseas and they have worked out before, they just haven't been exposed to some of the things that we would like them to be doing. So that kind of puts them back at square root with your training age is basically zero when we see you and get you because we got to do a lot of different things. And then occasionally what you get is your your three to five year college guys that managed to work their butts off and, and maybe didn't have it right away when they were 19 years old, fresh out of freshman year. And those are our guys that we see that typically have more of a training age. They, they're more at least understand what we want to see in the weight room. They understand the language a little bit. They're hearing the terms. They've been through assessments. They've, they've understand the technologies. They've jumped on force plates. They've used monitors. So they've been exposed to things that we're trying to put them through. And that's not to say that they're more receptive of it. That's just to say <laughs> that they've seen it before, right? Right. But because of their, their age, typically, they, they do have a better training age and they are more equipped to take on some of our more complex, probably progress them a little bit faster. We could probably try different lists. So, you know, I got guys that come for me after three to four years of college and they can claim. So cool. We might do inklings. I'm not going to spend too much time coaching those things and, and delivering that. So that, that might be a question that someone might have. Like, no, I, I don't go out of the way to, to coach a clean or a snatch. And that's not to say that you can't do them in the NBA. You certainly can. And some of my colleagues around the NBA do a great job doing that. We just don't. And that's our personal approach. But if a guy comes to us and he can do it, cool, let's get it. Now that's just one extra option. And then before I talked about breaking up the monotony of training, now that's just one area that we can take it. But if you can't do those things, well, I got a million other things that we can do to develop those things. So I start thinking about, this is probably just going on a rant somewhere else now, but when I start thinking about exercise selection, like exercises are just means to stimuli and adaptation. So I don't actually, I'm not married to how we deliver those things. I'm just married to what I want to get out of it and how can I get out of it. And if I go back to the science, right, the philosophy we talked about, then we see lots of different ways that we can expose our athletes to stimuli for adaptation. So, so yeah, that's kind of unrelated to the athlete I'm getting, but uh, yeah. it's definitely a, just a thought that popped up. But So yeah, we're, we're seeing it all, but once they get to our doorstep, we're going to go ahead and, and teach everything through our teaching progressions. But what I don't have is a system of progression or regression that's kind of time-based. It's more, it's performance-based, right? If my athlete, if the athlete can can perform something really well on day one, well, I'm not going to hold them at, you know, regression two. Like, let's just move them. Let's go. Like, you're right. ready. And now we just determine how you adapt to the training stimuli. And if you adapt well, keep it going. And if you don't, okay, maybe we back up back up on volume. But yeah, you know, I, I was saying once they prove that, then we progress them and we get them into kind of higher level progressions. And in my mind, I have kind of like, you know, your level one, level two, level three, which is like level one is do we have adequate range of motion and control of this thing? And and we might understand some of that from the assessments we're getting on the table from our, our sports med side. But that's just one step of it. Okay, you have it on the table. Can you control it? Can you control it with lighter loads, with, with different tempos? Okay, you can. Great. Now let's load it probably without a tempo. Let's just get in and out of it. Let's do our full dynamic contractions. And then from there, do we need to load it more? Do we need to increase the speed of it? 
do we need to change where we're increasing the speed of it? So are we just increasing the velocities of our eccentrics versus our concentrics on both of them? And then once you can kind of do all that, then I just call it, let's get crazy. So now we're, <laughs> we're trying to just challenge the system with various constraints. And so, you know, lots of examples come to mind on that. But, but all of that is, is really just the proficient athlete, right? And, and that's going to be based on a lot of different things. But once they get to us, day one, we're going to assume that they haven't done much. And then we're just going to build from there. Yeah, that's great, man. So one thing that I'm really interested in is your role during Summer League. So as you know, Summer League just wrapped up a few weeks ago. And for a lot of guys, whether it's a first-year guy that just got drafted or maybe a guy that's going into his second year but didn't play much, he's trying to prove himself, you know, for a lot of these guys, this is their first chance or maybe their second chance getting on the court to show what they've got. So I'm really interested, what is your role like as a physical preparation coach during summer league yeah yeah summer league did just wrap up i always think of summer league as kind of just a time to build habits like habits 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 let's just let's just get these players to understand what we expect of them what we ultimately want to get out of them and that that's mainly like on the frequency of training side and, and stuff like that and then just build kind of the professionalism through that. So are you showing up with your shoes untied? Okay, well, that's not how we get down here. And and I kind of always jump our guys. I had to do it yesterday. I said, yo, man, you show up to practice with your shoes in? And I always ask kind of like like a real question as if I don't know. But like, yo, man, you, you show up to practice without your shoes tied? And like, no, nah, why? I said, oh, man, I just, you know, I don't know. I just I figured you didn't care about my, my training since, you know, you show up to practice. And they always start cracking up. I mean, I got you. Come on, man. And, <laughs> um, so just little things like that, just trying to set the the, tent, the bar and let them know like, hey, we're going to have a good time in here, but we are here to get better. And I always, I always deliver it through, through the narrative like this is your career, baby. Like, right. I understand. And, and especially for Summer League, a lot of you guys haven't even signed a contract here. So Summer League is your that's a that's a two week interview process for you. Hmm. And I don't I don't shy away from reminding them either. Like I've had players come in acting a fool when I'm like, yo, you must have had averaged 100 points a game in college because you just acting like you got it in here. And of course, no <laughs> one did, right? So yeah, it's it's their two-week interview process. And it's also like our two-week interview process, right? It's it's our two weeks to really deliver and impress them. Like, I want you to be excited to come work with us. And some of you are already signed and some of you aren't on a summer league roster. So for the listeners that may or may not know, there's only a handful of guys on a summer league team that are actually signed to that team. The rest of them are trying to make teams. Right. They're either trying to make the current team that they're on or they're they're balling out and, and hoping that a front office member in the stands watching the games is going to give them a job. So that's two weeks kind of building relationships and, and also learning them. Like I want them to, to show me their personality and I want them to show me who they're going to be because that's going to allow me to prepare for all that. So we don't do too much training though during those times. You got to figure there's – we have the California Classic in Sacramento. So in addition to Summer League, we have a California Classic, which is three games, usually July 1st through the 3rd or, or the 5th. July 4th is usually an off day or always an off day. We've done that two years in a row. Now, that's three additional games on top of the Summer League games in Vegas, and it's also right before those. So there's no break. So you got guys yeah. playing 7 to 10 games in, in 10 to 14 days. Some people might look at that as our time to try to – you know, let's make sure that they understand them hard. And I'm like, man, I I don't want to train you hard because, one, I don't know what you did before you got here. So for me to just throw in five sets of five on a squat rack is probably not smart because we're diving into tissue and making you sore. And I have no idea what you've been doing or what you're prepared for because most of you just came off of 15 to 20 NBA workouts. 
Yes. Right? So like the, what, what we see as fans is, is the NBA Summer League, but what we fail to, I think, appreciate is you just played the California Classic before you got to Vegas. On top of that, before you got to California Classic, before we started that, we had a mini camp with like four practices, two-a-days going. Then before that, you also had, like I said, anywhere from 10 to 15, 20 draft workouts. And that all starts like May 15, middle of May is your NBA Combine. So from the middle of May all the way to the middle of June, some of these guys have not had a break. They're going two months straight mm-hmm. of just trying every day, waking up and trying to prove to somebody that they deserve to be in the NBA. So not only is that a toll on their body, it's a toll on them mentally, right? Psychologically, that's tough. You got to wake up every day. And after making your bed, which they probably don't do, but they should, <laughs> uh, you know, after you dominate that first thing, make the bed get right. Well, now you got to wake up with the with the the stress of man. I gotta I gotta put everything I have on the line today because this is my livelihood and not only mine but a lot of these guys are supporting their family members and friends relying on me to do something that's never been done. And so I think we just have to appreciate that. And so what that what that means for me is as we back all that up, you know, when you come into us for for summer league, I'm not overly concerned about making you stronger over these new, next two weeks. I am concerned about building those habits so you understand that. Once you do, if you are fortunate to land, already signed with us, once you do get here, that we have a way that we're going to do things and we're going to hold a standard that we want to maintain throughout season. But we're not drill sergeants. We're going to have a good time. We're going to build relationships. We're going to pour into everything we have into you. And we hope that you reciprocate that and you pour it back into us. So, Man. Uh, yeah, Summer League is all about habits for me. First off, I'm so happy that you unpacked that process because I don't think most people understand that. You know, like an elite college player, whether you're a first year, like a one and done, or you've been out three or four years and you're testing the waters, like April and May are so hectic for these young Mm -hmm. men. I mean, literally, we've had guys that I think some of our highest have been at like 17, 18 workouts, you know, so you think 17, 18 workouts. And then, like you said, then you're going into a training camp. Well, and then again, like if you guys are playing the California Classic or some of our people went to Utah first. Man, now you got three, four games there. Then you're going to Vegas. You're playing Summer League. And that's a lot of miles on your body in that two-month period. So I just love that you unpacked that because I don't think most people understand how hectic that time period is. I think literally what they probably think is these guys finish up their college season. They camp out for a couple weeks. Maybe they go to the Combine if they're lucky or they go to a couple pro days and they show up at Summer League. And that's just not the case at all. There's so much more that goes on behind the scenes during that time period. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot. Now after seeing it, it's like, yo, this is this is not easy and this is not, not our time to be the strength coach, rah, rah, let's get after it and get better. Like it's our time to appreciate what they're under and again, like I always think we're a support staff. Like yes. we have that title for a reason. The coaches are gonna get after them because they're the sport coaches and that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to make you better at your sport. And we're supposed to on the side be the side salad that helps you get yes. better at the at the sport right yeah and i try to maintain that because as much as i love working out and love training and, and think that it has beyond just athletically building you but that's all secondary or, or even tertiary to that like there's a million other things like and truth be told during summer league it's like okay get better at basketball and then refuel so nutrition is probably more important because yep. guess what the next day or even in a few hours you got to get better at basketball again <laughs> yes um, and then you better recover. So there's a lot of things that we could be doing on the recovery side. So like lifting becomes like our fourth option during that time of the year. And, and that's okay. I think that's, we try to do what's best for the athlete before what's best for our Yeah. Such a great point there too, because I feel like, 
it's very easy for us as strength coaches like look there's a little bit of ego that kind of comes with what we do and that's okay that makes us who we are and it gives us some personality but it's hard to put that ego aside sometimes and realize like like you said you're the side salad like i try and remember that like when when we go and we work our guys out like joey our skills guy he's he's the entree man he's the steak I'm like the side salad or the sweet potato, you know, like I'm trying to keep yep. these guys feeling good. I'm trying to give them like specific movement skills or movement options so that when they go out on the court, they can do whatever he's asking them to do. So such a refreshing way to look at things. Now, one thing I'm really interested in is let's say you get a young fella in, but he's not getting a ton of minutes. Maybe he wasn't like a highly touted guy or he's a two way guy. He's not getting the minutes in season. How does that impact your approach when it comes to training and developing that guy versus a starter that's playing 30 plus minutes a night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. And probably the, the main juggling act, I'd say, probably as, as a strength and conditioning coach for an NBA team is you got some players that are playing your 30 to 35 minutes a game. Got some players that are, and that's typically your starters, right? Starters are playing anywhere from 25 to 35 based on on your roster depth and your coach's approach and then you got your role players or your rotation guys and those guys are playing anywhere from that 10 to 25 mark and then beyond that you got kind of your non-rotation guys and so now you got kind of three levels of basketball volume that you need to manage and then you got to plug and play with your lifting right so if you're a guy that's to answer your question directly if you're a guy that's not playing so if you're not playing into me you're not a starter you're not a rotation guy those are your second string guys that may be in a tough spot where we have a lot of depth and so they just don't see the court much or as your third string point guard who's there to make guys better at practice and then hold it down if somebody a knock on wood you know gets hurt so for those guys we, we do try to do more like I'll answer that one outright like yes we want to do more with them because we have opportunity we don't have to manage soreness from games we don't have to manage readiness for performance we're allowed to just go so we do want to do more. We do want to do more lifting. We're going to be doing a lot more conditioning because you're not getting it from the games. Yep. You're going to be getting a lot more exposures. And in my mind, I kind of separate exposure and like conditioning. Conditioning is like energy system development, right? And But for those of you that have been around basketball uh, long enough, you know that NBA guys, most basketball players do a really good job of, of playing themselves into shape. Like if mm-hmm. you play the game, you're going to be in shape. And so uh, I definitely, I think, go against the grain on that side. It's like I'm, I don't need to do 30 minutes of you know, cardiac output work to keep guys in shape because they're playing the game. There's so much aerobic and anaerobic conditioning that goes into both workouts and obviously playing the sport. And we know that objectively from the, the game data that we get. But you also know that from watching the game. If you go watch a, a player work out with any basketball skills coach that can make a left-hand layup, like if they can make a left-hand layup, they probably understand how to – run a workout well enough to, to build energy systems. So I don't really worry about like conditioning from energy system side, especially because because if you're not a player or if you're not a rotation guy and you're not getting minutes, then you're still playing a lot, but you're going to be doing it with your skill development coaches. You're going to be doing it with the rest of the non-rotation guys. Some teams in the NBA video coordinators to build on that. They use other coaches. Some of these coaching staffs are getting really big, and part of that reason is because they need extra bodies to keep players in shape. And I love that approach. I love that approach way more than whatever I can try to do. Yeah. Because no matter what I do on the court, 
And I think in conditioning, I think court first. We want you to be conditioned for the sport, so we want to do it on the court. Then I build it into a treadmill because at least that's still running. And then if we have to go to level three on a bike, then we'll go there. And that's usually mainly just to manage the mechanical tissue stuff. So if guys have knee issues or any type of soreness that we need to get away from because of you know a workout that's coming tomorrow or whatever, then we'll go to like level three, let's get on a bike. But that's not ideal. I can create some really cool things in Excel to make some really cool conditioning programs, or you can just play the game. And so we try to push for that as much as we can. If you're not playing, then the best thing that you can be doing is playing against NBA players or high-level basketball players to stay in shape. One-on-one, three-on-three, four-on-four, full court, five-on-five, let's get it going. So we push for that a lot more if you're not playing from a conditioning side. We lift more. We're going to slow cook you, right? We're going to keep it simple. We're going to slow cook you, but we are going to try to get those loads up to be a little bit higher. And then we're going to worry about exposure. And exposure to me is, well, if you're not playing the NBA games, then you're not getting the accelerations and decelerations at the intensities or velocities that we need. So we do have to keep those things going. And you may not get those just by playing and pick up because a casual pickup may not call for you to actually sprint and dunk the ball like it may in an NBA game. If you're a third string point guard and you haven't played in three weeks, and coach checks you in for whatever reason, and the very first play you get a steal at three-quarter court away, well, you're going to throw that ball out. You're going to sprint as hard as you can. You're going to plant off one foot, and you're going to go and dunk that ball. And you got a lot of nerves going on, and you've right. got anxiety. And So there's so much that goes into that that we can't mimic that, the psychological side, but can make you sprint as hard as you can down the court, and then I can make you stop. And I think those things at least expose the tissues to those demands and that's those demands and that's how i separate like energy system development versus like tissue exposure like we might be doing things just to expose the tissue to what we want and another layer of that is like it's not necessarily speed training like i don't actually need you to get faster i just need the hamstrings to contract at velocities that they wouldn't otherwise do so and we need decelerations to occur at intensities that they otherwise wouldn't happen so yeah there's a lot that goes into that but as i separate kind of the human system it's it's, yeah, there's energy system development, there's tissue exposure, and then there's there's obviously like the separate speed training, which I don't even worry too much about because, one, you don't ever get in the top end speed in basketball anyway. Right. But also, most of these guys are really close to their genetic potential. And if they're not, some of them aren't, and I acknowledge that, then it just becomes a time constraint, right? What, what do I want to give time to? Do I want to give time into making you a quarter of a second faster in a three-quarter court sprint? Or is it probably more valuable for me to spend your athletic development on getting a little bit bigger, going through that, that, that needs analysis based on the various assessments that we're doing. We're getting those from our sports med side. We're getting those from sports players. We're getting those from our coach's eye. We're getting those from our training volumes. There's a million things that we can attack and usually make you a little bit faster where you don't reach top end speed is, is not a high priority. Yeah, I love it, man. So I got one more question that, that I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts on. If you could describe the perfect first year with a developing talent, what would that look like? And maybe what would you hope to accomplish with that young man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. What would define success year one? A lot of things come to mind. I think it starts with what they want to achieve have them paint that picture. What, do, what What's success for you? For some guys, it's I want to be first team all rookie. For some guys, it's I want to be rookie of the year. The other side of that is, yo, I'm a two-way. A success for me would be to sign another two-way or sign an actual 15th roster spot. So I think it starts with that. And then again, like before the side's out, we got to we gotta feed into that first. And then coaching staff front office, right? Coaching staff, what do you 
three four years from now what do you think this player needs to be able to do you know he's yes he's six eight he can't shoot but it's 2019 you got to be able to shoot so yeah. we hope that he could become a stretch three or four for us okay cool and in front office what do you see obviously and some of those are competing right like we have to i think appreciate that those aren't always aligned and some Ideally, they are, but and that's just top level. And now can we build our athletic development model success as a reflection of some of those things? Because I can make you a weightlifter, but how did that help you sign another contract? Right. right? And then beyond that, like we want to close the gap on their strength and conditioning needs. And again, it goes back to the assessment and understanding what they need from an athletic development standpoint. So after year one, have we closed the gap on those things? And if we prioritize those needs, we want to close the gap a little bit more on those bigger rocks. So if a guy has a body comp issue and he needs to lose, I've had players in the past, he needs to lose 20 pounds, but he also needs to get stronger. Okay, well, when we start to think about what's going to help him develop and, and play in this game, it's probably losing those 20 pounds first. So when we think about after year one, what success looks like, did we make stronger? Sure. But did we make a very big dent in that body composition need? Great. And so I think it's prioritizing their needs and then and then closing that gap Based on their injury history stuff, are they a little bit more robust or resilient, right? So do we understand if a guy had an adductor strain in the past, did we do what we needed to do? Did we keep it simple, but did we expose over time to the groin and the adductor and build the tissue capacity there? And so there's a lot of places you can go with, I think, the strength and conditioning needs analysis stuff, right? But I think closing the gaps on the, on the big ones. And then I think it's perhaps, you know, I don't know if it's more important, but certainly is important is they use the weight room to deliver like a psychological aspect. And again, like I think it just goes back to some of these philosophical big rocks. But if you understand the game, then you can watch it with a different lens. And so I look at players that are very athletic and I've, I've seen it just recently with summer league, you see a lot of things and, you know, you got guys that are very athletic that can attack the rim. They have the skill set. I always think athleticism is great, but if you don't have the skill set to express it in sport, then it's, it's not very good. There's a yeah. lot of guys that can go to your local 24-hour fitness. There's people that can jump out the building. Mm-hmm. But what they can't do is dribble the ball, create the space, get into the lane that allows them to actually jump out the building. Right. Um, and so, like, once you have those guys that have everything that they need, there's still, like, an additional layer of psychologi- psychological component of, Okay, you got the skill set to express athleticism. You jump, you expressed it, but do you have the mental edge that allows you to finish that play? Or am I looking for contact, the body bump in the air? Can I lay it up? Do I know that I'm, I don't have the finesse in the air to lay it up? Am I just turning that thing over and trying to dunk on you every time? I think that we can get some of that out of the weight room. And that just comes from obviously loading and the velocities that we're doing, but also just the mental side of trying to get guys to know like yo we're in here trying to get better and we're pushing weights and we're challenging ourselves and we're going to do all that in the game when I, like when i come through the lane i'm looking for contact i'm not avoiding you i'm i'm through you boom and one send me right. the line and i think that we can like i'm biased because i get excited about stuff like that but <laughs> me too but i want to hype that up in the weight room and i want to use the language that they use and i want to cue what they're saying so i think after year one have we made dents in all of those places and if we have then awesome. And if we haven't, then let's just go back to the board and reevaluate and, and redefine maybe what success is or change our program and, and say, hey, it's it's not working for us. And then I think finally, beyond all that, I think it's just pouring into these guys. Like I said, after year one, do they know that we're here for them? Do they know that we, we mean well in everything we do? Do they know that if I'm asking you to do something, it's coming from a really good place? It's coming from a place that ultimately sees you as the best version of yourself, whether that's you know, first team all defense and all star uh, role player, a 20 year career, whatever it is. I want you to know that 
I'm hearing you, I'm seeing it, and I'm here for it. I'm pushing that every day. So after year one, the success is defined as some variation of all of that. And it probably doesn't make for a really good checklist, but those are the things that come to mind. No, that's huge. And I love two things that you said. Number one, just talking about confidence. And I think sometimes people falsely assume that just because these are some of the best basketball players in the world, that they're just beaming with confidence, you know, and sometimes outwardly Mm -hmm. they project that, but you know, because you've been around them enough, sometimes that's not the case, you know, for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. So using the weight room as a vehicle to build confidence. And then another thing that you've kind of mentioned a couple of times now without saying it outright is just this idea of building trust. And you, you said it before, like so many times, everybody wants a piece of these guys, right? They're probably the most successful person in their family or in their social circle or even maybe from their city. So everybody wants something from them. So being a person that they can just rely on, that they can trust, that they know genuinely has their best intentions at heart is such a big piece of what we do. And I mean, I think you said it. You said it very early on. It's like build the relationship first. And if you do that, everything else is so much easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. So big question time, my guy. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Ramsey, I should have asked pronunciation, Ramsey Najim, one piece of advice about training in our life, what would it be? And if I if I butchered your last name, tell me now so I don't do it again. It wasn't butchered. It was called, it's, it's Nijim. Nijim. Ramsey Nijim. Yep. What would it be? Yep. One piece of advice to a younger version of myself, you said? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I like this. We're getting deep. Uh, <laughs> what would I say? Let me just think back. Uh, the good thing is the younger version of myself was you know, only you know, close to 10 years ago. So when I started in the field, I would say double down. Like double down on, on who you, who you want to be and, and what you believe in and those ambitions. I think as, as a young guy, I had crazy ambitions, and, and I still do. But at such a young age, you start to think, like, NBA strength coach, I can't get to that. Like, it's... That seems far-fetched. And while it is a tough role to get to, like I won't sugarcoat that. There's only 30 jobs in the NBA. But I would say double down on just who you want to be and who that person is because there's a lot of – I think there's just a lot of, especially in the digital age, social media age, there's there's a lot that – there's just a lot of people out there that that may or may not support your ambitions as a a young person. But that's okay. Like what does that have to do with you? And I always try to remember that like, what does somebody else's energy got to do with my energy? That's what I always tell myself. So right. as I, because I'm human and I respond emotionally to things sometimes and I get frustrated at things that I probably shouldn't waste time on. And I always try to look inward and say, yo, man, like I have self-talk of like, yo, you being soft, man. Like why, why are these <laughs> other people affecting you so much? Because if, if I, I think of myself in a coaching role, if a player was coming to me and he was emotionally attached to something and something was affecting him. I would say the same thing to him. Like, yo, man, don't let nobody affect you. Like, don't be soft. Control what you can control. So I would say, like, to my younger self, just double down on that. I've made plenty of mistakes. I've learned a ton. I've met some wonderful people. I'm fortunate to speak with some of the best in the biz. You know, case in point, I'm on your podcast now. And I've, I've made one too many mistakes, but make them all again. Like, double down on every part of that process because it's, I think it'd be arrogant for me to say, like, I, I wish I was somewhere else in my career right now. Right. Um, I don't. Like, I, I love where I'm at. I know I'm fortunate. I'm not naive to that. I don't shy away from it. I try to feed it forward. So, like, double down, quadruple down on everything that you want to do. And, and it'll pay off. And everyone's timeline is different. And, again, I'm not naive. I'm fortunate to know that uh, or, or to have had an accelerated career, exponentially growing career. But 
quadruple down on everything and, and your timeline may be different, but be consistent, be persistent and stay patient and it always work out. Love it. Love it. All right, my guy, last but not least, we got our lightning round. So four questions, generally pretty short, but your answer can be as long or as short as you'd like. All right. Sounds good. All right. Number one, and I, I respect that this is probably tough, but what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Oh, career highlight. I don't know if I have one, but okay. I would say undoubtedly the relationships I'm able to have. Like that's something that even as I've continued to grow and like that's something that I'm tri- quadrupling down on, like relationships, relationships. Early on in my career, I spent so much time worried about knowing every single part of strength and conditioning or sport performance. And now I realize like you can't. That's impossible yep. because there's PhDs in biomechanics. There's PhDs in physiology. There's PhDs in nutrition. There's PhD. You can get a PhD in one aspect. I have a I have a buddy who has a PhD in the counter movement jump using force plates. Like you can <laughs> be very very bright at everything, but none of that matters if you can't deliver it to an athlete and if you can't relate. You can write a textbook all day, and there's plenty of academics that do. But that doesn't mean that they would be a better strength and conditioning coach because to be a coach, again, it's a human business. You have to be able to relate. So I would say my, my career highlights are, are my growing relationships with players. And I, and I see it when they leave. Like, unfortunately, I work in a business where you build relationships and guys get traded. I remember to date the very first time a player got traded. And so because of that, like pour everything you have into them. And so my career highlight would be, I think, my effort to do so and then the reciprocation that I get from players and they give it back. So yeah, that's probably, I would say my career highlight. I've I've been, I'd be, if I had to put like one, it would probably be like achieving my quote unquote dream job at the age I was able to do so. Like that's definitely one of them, but that only allows me to, that only allows me more time to build relationships. Yep. I love it. Number two, you spoke about PhDs a minute ago. How did it feel getting yours wrapped up? Yeah, I always like to clarify. I earned a doctorate of science, which is technically a DSC, a PhD for the listeners. Is okay. A doctorate of philosophy. Uh, I have a doctorate of science. They're both terminal research degrees, so very similar. But it feels great to be done with it for sure. It felt like it, it wasn't something I ever sought out to do. Like, and I always tell people like I got through school quick because I because I don't like school. Like, that's what I always <laughs> tell people. Um, and so I treat school like 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 the game of basketball or like any sport. Like to me, it's Yo, this thing's trying to stop me. You can't stop me. I'm trying to be great. Like, uh, so that was like my approach with it. So it, it feels good to be done for sure. I wrapped that up last last summer. I did a dissertation in workload management or monitoring, specifically using MBA data. We looked at over four years. I can't share the execs of what we did because of MBA rules and for research, sure. but we looked at four years of game data. We looked at a few different me- metrics or measures of workload. And we compared that to four years of first injury occurrence to try to see how those things, how those two things relate. As most people know, workload management is a big thing in the NBA. And it usually comes from a place of avoiding injury or reducing the risk of injury. So I really wanted to understand whether or not we can do those things and whether or not we understand enough to make educated decisions on those things. So that was a really fun project to take on. It was it was long. It was (laughs) tedious at times. It was tiring, but it was good to get done. And it was directly related to work. So it feels great to be done for sure, for sure. So I I used to, my, I, always, I always tell people my, my 6 to midnight, my 6 p.m. to midnight grind used to be school. And now I don't have that. So 
I definitely have a bunch of other passion projects inside that are, are calling for me now. I love it. I love it. So number three, I know you're always experimenting with different training modalities and I know you're a gym rat much like myself. Is there anything that you're playing around with now that you're really enjoying or getting a lot out of? Yeah, good question. A few different things kind of mind. I think what's next for us is is just trying to understand our training prescriptions or the stimuli that we're presenting to athletes at a deeper level. What you always hear, I think, from the from most people in the industry is that, you know, individualization is important when it comes to training. The reason that they typically cite for that is that we know that every athlete doesn't respond the same way to every training program. And so therefore they need very specific training programs. And while that may be true, what is always left out is we also don't understand how people adapt to training. And when you look at the literature, you see that, right? Sure, at the group level, we can see that individual responses to training were very different, but that doesn't mean you could have predicted how each person would have responded. And true, I think, individualization of training programming is understanding how an individual would respond to this training and then tailoring those prescriptions. We are far away away from that, I think, when it, when it comes to strength and conditioning. And so I think for us next is trying to understand a little bit more about just starting at probably the the exercise selection level, how this specific exercise affects somebody acutely, and then build that out longitudinally. We're fortunate to have force plates, so we can do some of that pretty easily. And that's where some of the experimentation comes in. But yeah, I think it's building out an understanding of individual training responses. Yeah, I love it. All right. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Ramsey Nigel? What else? What do you got going on? What are you excited about? Other than yeah. the season, because that's that's going to be here before you know it. Oh, man. It feels like it's here already. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, definitely excited about that. But other than that, I kind of hinted at it, I think, with with kind of my, my previous six to midnight grind was, was school. And now that I'm, I'm done with that, I have some more time. So I think it's just more like what comes to mind is more. Do more, build more, impact more, share more. I'm limited in some of those areas because of, of the role sure. that I have with, the sec- with an NBA team. But, you know, an example is we have a symposium coming up here in Sacramento. We're, holding, we're hosting our second ones, the Bay Area Sport Performance Symposium. We did it last year. It was it was incredible. We had 120 attendees. We had 150 people in the building. We did that last year. It was it was awesome. We're doing that again. Got some speaking things that I'm doing this month. I'm doing some free clinics this month, which is something that I've always wanted to do. So I've reached out to just like a local high school and just said, hey man, you guys don't have a strength coach, but you have a bunch of teams that are getting strength and conditioning. I'll come to a free clinic. Like I would love to just share and, and pour into that. So I think it's just more like I just want to do more and, and I don't even know what that specifically means yet. But, right. you know, it's, it's the, the passion is still there. And I know that at some point the flame is going to dim down a little bit. So I, just, I want to keep going while I got it and, and try to give more. I love it, man. Well, Ramsey, you've been amazing to chat with today. Really respect your time and appreciate you coming on. Where can my listeners find more about you and what you got going on? Yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on Instagram at dr.ramsey.nigem and then I'm also on Twitter at Dr. Ramsey Nigem as well. Those are the two primary places. I'm trying to share more on Instagram. I shared a good amount. I got away from it. I'm trying to get back. Uh, yes. So yeah, th- those are the primary places for sure. I love it, man. I'll make sure I put links to that in the show notes. But again, Ramsey, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Like I said before, it's, it's an honor to join the long list of professionals you've had here. So thank you.
right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Dr. Ramsey Nijem. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He's one of those guys I really enjoy catching up with, love his outlook, and most importantly, I just love the amount of time and energy he puts in to developing these young men, these young athletes, and I sincerely hope it pays dividends for them throughout their NBA career. So, Again, thank you so much for your support. If you enjoyed the show, please take just a minute or two out of your day, share it with your friends, whether it's on social media, whether it's via email, whatever you want to do works for me. But my friend, as always, you know this, I love and appreciate you. Thank you so much for your support. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.